only by understanding energy in its various forms. The universe of energy. Can we build a transition to a better tomorrow? Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 176 for the week of June 27th, 2010. This week, we're going to take a very detailed look at one of Walt Disney World's classic opening day attractions. One that is significant not just because of its rich history but because of its importance in the history of the Disney parks, personal connection to Walt Disney, and stories behind the stories that play a role in its inclusion at the heart of the Magic Kingdom. And with dramatic changes coming to Fantasyland and a minor change to this attraction itself, it's a great time to take a look at the attraction that to many will always be known as Cinderella's Golden Carousel. I'll play more of your voicemails and have a few announcements at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. recent rechristening of one of Walt Disney World's classic attractions, some changes coming to Fantasyland and the Magic Kingdom, and my inability on my audio guide to Walt Disney World to tell the full story, and the inability to, to share the stories behind the stories, this week I wanted to take a really close look at what, for many I think, is a very simple almost carnival ride that, to many people, has no story whatsoever. And that's when I smile, because as you know, I say there is a story behind everything that you encounter in Walt Disney World. And in this case, we are again, again, turn to the only one who can share some of these great stories. Everyone's Prince Charming, my knight in shining armor, a hero among men. You know I must be talking about... Jim Corcus. Well, I'm glad you didn't set the bar too high there, uh, Lou. And for those of you uh, listening at home, yes, uh, we're, we're doing exactly what Lou wants. We're out here in the heat and humidity at the uh, actual attraction. And, but this time, I am just so grateful that uh, Lou is not making us actually ride the carousel over and over and over as uh, we tell uh, the story, uh, the history behind um, this wonderful uh, attraction here at the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. And, and, you know, when we talk about the history, especially of this attraction, I think this is one of the ones, Jim, that a lot of people say, I know it. I know the story about this. It's Walt Disney World's oldest attraction. It was built in 1917, and and they founded it at Maplewood Olympic Park in New Jersey, and they brought it down here. So, yeah, Jim, I, I know the story already, and you're laughing out loud because there is... So, so much more to it. Uh, we'll get to the, the detail of the story about this physical attraction itself, but let's go way, way back, uh, because the story and the importance and the significance of this carousel and carousels in general starts 
not with the mouse, but with the man himself, and the significance, of course, is Walt Disney and his family. You're absolutely right, Lou, and I'm, I'm glad you'd uh, like to go back that far because it'll help uh, us better appreciate the carousel here at uh, Walt Disney World. Uh, I think everybody knows that uh, Walt was very fond of merry-go-rounds and carousels. And also, let me clear up a little something here now, too. Those terms are interchangeable. People over the years have tried to convince me that a carousel just meant horses, whereas a merry-go-round was a menagerie of different animals, like a giraffe or a, a big cat and all of that, or that a carousel would go counterclockwise and a merry-go-round would go uh, clockwise. But I will tell you that uh, absolutely there is no real difference. Uh, the terms are used interchangeably. Walt used them interchangeably. In fact, Walt always claimed that the beginning of Disneyland was the fact that he would go to the Griffith Park uh, carousel and watch his uh, daughters ride on the horses while he just sat on the bench eating peanuts and he dreamt of a place where a, a family could enjoy it all uh, together. The Griffith Park um, carousel is just magnificent. It was uh, built by the uh, Spillman Engineering Company in 1926 and in fact it is the only Spillman Engineering carousel that is still in existence that operates. Um, all of the horses on it are jumpers, which means all of their legs are off the ground and, and they're moving, and Walt uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, it was in several different locations. Um, Ross Davis purchased it and moved it to Griffith Park in 1937, uh, which, and Walt uh, built up a friendship with Ross Davis and loved the carousel at Griffith Park. In fact, when he wanted a, a merry-go-round for Disneyland, uh, he uh, hired Ross to go out and find one for him. And so Ross found one in Toronto, Ontario, in, of all places, Sunnyside Park. And this is decades before Toy Story 3. But that's where the King Arthur carousel uh, came from. But it, it did have a menagerie, so it did have giraffes and big cats and all of that. So those had to be removed, and they found some additional horses... Uh, underneath a pier in Coney Island in storage. So they herded them out to Anaheim, and they got installed, and then a lot of the horses uh, also went through some surgery. So instead of being standers or prancers with one or two feet off the ground, all of them were jumpers. And you have to realize that King Arthur's Carousel, when it opened... The horses were all different uh, colors. They were uh, black and gray and reddish brown. And they stayed that way until 1975 when uh, John Hench decided they should all be white because uh, every kid was fighting to get onto the white horse. And he saw the success at Walt Disney World where all of the horses were white and everybody was a happy camper. So uh, literally... Uh, that's the uh, fascination. And, of course, Walt saw not just the one at Griffith Park. There were two small carousels at uh, the uh, Bradley Amusement Park, I think, on um, Beverly and La Cienega. And he took his uh, little girls there. And there was uh, another carousel at uh, the Santa Monica Pier. So, uh, but, you know, we really need to go back a lot further, Lou. I was going to say, the, you know, the history of carousels doesn't begin... At amusement parks on Coney Island, it goes back much, much further. And as it's going to eventually tie into the story here, you'll see what the importance of where carousels really came from comes to be. And Lou will confirm I'm doing this without notes. So uh, the history of the carousels actually go back uh, to the 1100s when the uh, uh, Italian and Spanish uh, crusaders saw uh, Arabian and uh, Turkish uh, armies uh, practicing on uh, horseback. And uh, this was actually uh, a, a cavalry exercise, but they were fascinated by this and they called it uh, garicella or carousella, which meant uh, little war or little battles. And uh, they were quite fascinated by this. Uh, the French actually took that can uh, concept and created uh, carousel. But what carousel meant to them was uh, sort of an extravaganza where you had people 
elaborately dressed and horses elaborately outfitted. That's why carousel horses today are uh, very elaborately uh, done up. And they would do choreographed uh, routines for the amusement of royalty. Uh, in fact, one of the, the games, of course, was the traditional uh, uh, take a lance and uh, try and spear it through a little ring on uh, the limb of a tree or on a pole. Uh, by the 1600s, the uh, French uh, had created a uh, practice device, which was called carousel. So that was a central pole, and from that extended chains, and from that extended uh, carved horses, so that you wouldn't wear out your horses by practicing, and especially the uh, neophytes who were constantly having problems staying up and down and around, you know, that went on. And uh, people loved that. So by the 1700s, there were carousels that were developed uh, for uh, amusement venues like fairs and uh, special uh, uh, events. And that, of course, uh, led uh, to all sorts of innovations because the first carousels didn't have a, a platform down below. So platforms came in so you could have horses that were standards, all of that. Uh, I would think that the uh, recognized father of modern carousels uh, in the 1860s was uh, Gustav uh, Denzel, who uh, moved to Philadelphia. And, of course, his work uh, influenced a lot of American carousels. But more importantly, uh, they were a huge influence on uh, the Disney carousels. Yeah, and again, too, we've talked about how, you know, the, the practical genesis of where these came from and then its evolution into a medieval fair games ties so well and perfectly into Fantasyland. And again, we've talked about this before, about how this is, we're in the center, according to story, of this medieval fair, and actually we sit underneath a medieval fair tent. Exactly. And in, in fact, that was the, the concept in Disneyland, uh, uh, too. Bruce Bushman uh, didn't really want to modify, you know, the classic carousel, so he came up with this huge canopy on the outside, so it gave that feeling of being in medieval times. And, and again, we're getting that over here as well. This carousel, of course, was built in 1917 by the Philadelphia Toboggan uh, Company. Now, there are several different styles of American carousels. There's the Philadelphia style, uh, which was influenced by uh, Denzel, who had a, a business there, and the Philadelphia Toboggan Company. There's the Coney Island style. Uh, and then there's the uh, county fair type style, where, where it, literally it's a carousel that can be uh, assembled and disassembled. But anyway, this was built in 1917 to uh, uh, celebrate uh, America's victory in World War I, the war to end all wars. And it was called the Liberty Carousel and was supposed to celebrate the American frontier. So uh, one of the things that we're seeing right here as, as we're standing is... Uh, uh, what have we noticed on the sides of the horses here, Lou? So I've stared at this carousel for decades. Um, I've stood in front, I've ridden it countless times. And as much as we look at it, you know, we look at this as Cinderella's, or now Prince Charming, carousel, and sort of overlay that storyline into it. Not maybe taking a close look at the horses themselves, and yes, they're so beautifully colored and, and decorated, but on them you'll see images of Indians and arrows and an American buffalo and bison and, you know, lions and things like that. Things that certainly don't tie into a Cinderella story, but go back to that idea of patriotism. Obviously, in the center around the spindle, you see American bald eagles. Same thing uh, up under the outer canopy. You'll see Lady Liberty sitting in front of uh, an American eagle. So that sense of patriotism that you talked about is definitely where... In, you know, its origins lie and not in creating a, a carousel for fantasy land. Yes, it, it, it's interesting how easily we can get uh, fooled. If you paint a buffalo silver or gold, <laughs> suddenly it's from the time of uh, Prince Charming here. And you're right, uh, that's Lady Liberty uh, up above there um, in front of a, a bald eagle, an American eagle, and the shield was actually an American flag. American flag shields were very popular. Those have been repainted now to be more of a generic Shield. I know that a lot of times people call this the Lady Liberty carousel. That's not true. Lady Liberty is on the carousel, but she was on a lot of carousels. Lady Liberty is actually on the Disneyland carousel, the King Arthur carousel. Uh, this is called the Liberty uh, carousel. 
and um, they uh, moved it uh, to uh, Detroit, uh, the Garden Palace, where it ran for many years until uh, 1928, when um, it was rehabbed by the Philadelphia Toboggan Company and moved to uh, Olympic Park in uh, Maplewood, New Jersey. And, uh, in fact, I have an interesting uh, story to, to share. I, I, I was doing some research on the carousel, and this uh, 70-year-old man came up to me, and he says, I have a wonderful story to tell you. He said, uh, I rode this carousel in Olympic Park when I was a kid, over and over and over. And he said, then when I grew up and got married, and I had two daughters, young daughters of my own, we moved down to Florida in the early 70s, and we rode this carousel. I had no idea that this was it. Uh, my grandfather, several years later, moved down to stay... My, yes, his uh, uh, father-in-law moved down to stay with him, and the father-in-law came here, and he looked at the carousel, and his eyes teared up, and he says, that's my carousel. And uh, the guy said, I thought this was the first stages of Alzheimer's. But my, my uh, father-in-law had worked at Olympic Park on the roller coaster, which was just 70 feet away from the carousel. And when I brought him here and he saw this, he instantly recognized it because the horses had not changed. The, the color scheme had changed, but they had not changed. Now, Olympic Park went out of business in uh, 1965, and uh, this carousel was in danger of being destroyed because the individual elements of a carousel are more valuable than the carousel itself. And especially in the 70s, um, there was a huge uh, uh, thrust with, by interior decorators and collectors to purchase individual horses because uh, they're carved so magnificently. Uh, and uh, the Philadelphia Toboggan Company used uh, German and Italian carvers from the old world. And uh, you just don't get that quality because people weren't being trained in that uh, anymore. So this was in, in danger of being uh, disassembled, and uh, uh, that was all she wrote. But the Disney Company located it, and uh, by 1967 uh, had uh, purchased it and uh, brought it out here to, to Florida. One of the magnificent things they found is as they scraped away the paint because over the years what would happen is people will, if it started to ding up because there's a lot of use on there they just put another coat of paint on on top of that and so all of this wonderful detail was being covered up at uh, uh, Disney shops what they did is they started to sand down to the original wood and all of these things immediately came out now Disney doesn't sand down to the uh, wood anymore they sanded down to the wood just to get you know, all of that detail, and then they put on a primer coat. Now when they do rehab, they only sand down to that primer coat so that it won't do any damage uh, uh, to these horses. And, you know, we were talking about how we were looking at some of the detail before, and we forget that these were not, you know, these were not fiberglass molds. These are not things that were created by Disney in the 70s for Walt Disney World. These are the original hand-carved horses that have been around literally for decades and, and have done an exceptional job of keeping them up and certainly you know they do take them out and and they the maintenance on them in order to keep them in such pristine condition is again one of the hallmarks of what Disney does yes and uh, I did get to talk with a, a carousel horse carver um, because for the uh, Euro uh, Disney Disneyland Paris uh, carousel they took molds of all the Walt Disney World horses uh, to use those, but the outer ring were carved horses by a carver in Ohio, who is and a, very expensive, very, very expensive, but still practices that. And I said, well, I know these aren't held together by glue and, and, and all of this. How do you carve a horse? And he says, well, Jim, it's extremely easy. All you have to do is when you have that block of wood is you just chip away at everything that doesn't look like a horse. <laughs> and then what's left is the horse. But of course, all of these horses are different. If you see a horse with uh, one ear forward and one ear back, that's called a listener. If you see a horse with his head raised in the air and his eye is looking up, that's called a stargazer. Uh, if you have a horse with a tuft of hair on the top that curls up, that's called a topknot horse. So, 
you know, there's a whole story behind each of these individual horses. Now, one of the questions that people who are listening should be asking is, how do you know so much about, you know, equine, equestrian, uh, I'm fascinated. Again, no notes for Jim Corcus. Because I'm Jim Corcus. No, uh, fortunately, when I worked at, uh, came to work at Walt uh, Disney World uh, about uh, uh 12, uh, 13 years ago, I had a chance uh, to meet a wonderful woman, a, a true Disney uh, treasure. Her name was Isle Vogt, V-O-G-H-T. Um, she was uh, uh, about uh, half my size, and uh, she had started here uh, on the carousel, and that was her sole responsibility, was to take care of the carousel horses. And in fact, uh, she and uh, John Hench uh, picked the color scheme for the horses, so there's no two color schemes alike. And in fact, Lou, if you take a look at that horse there, and he's got that blue saddle, uh, Isle pointed to me and she said, well, take a look, what, what, what color is that saddle? And I said, oh, well, it's obviously blue, maybe royal blue. She says, you're not looking closely enough. If you take a real close look, you'll notice there's red in there. Not enough to turn it purple, but enough to make it different than another blue saddle on an, another horse over here. In fact, Isle and John Hinch had determined uh, whether the horses were male or female. And no, you don't look underneath to determine that. And they had also uh, determined the age of the horse. Is this an older horse? Is this a younger horse? I don't know where any of this documentation is um, now. But she worked on this for uh, 25, almost 30 years before they uh, moved her to another role. But uh, she took care of, of, of these uh, just absolutely uh, uh, wonderfully. And uh, you'll notice the horses are different sizes because you don't go by the outer ring. You go from the outer ring towards the uh, center. So the outer horses are larger horses. They're more elaborately detailed. So they're called A horses. And then you have a, a B horse and a C horse and a D horse and an e-horse, which is uh, much smaller and much less detailed. The side that is facing us is called the romance side or the show side. And so that's highly detailed because that's what people are watching and it will encourage people to go and, you know, jump on and uh, uh, ride these things. Um, an e-horse is valued conservatively at twenty-five dollars to $30,000. These a-horses out here, they are valued if they were sold off individually, a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars. So making this, you know, horse for horse, probably the most. This is a trivia question. Probably, arguably, the most expensive individual ride vehicle. And I think, and that little kid with the Mickey ears on has no idea he's sitting on two hundred thousand dollars worth of a horse. Absolutely not. And to make it even more valuable, you see the gold there. That's not gold paint. That is gold leaf, 23 carat gold leaf. And in fact, the silver is silver leaf as well, too. And in fact, leaf, uh, for those of you who do crafts, you know that that's very expensive. If you took a sheet and you rolled it up into a ball, it would be uh, actually less expensive to, to spin out that gold, that thin that it can be painted on, you know, makes it very, very expensive. And uh, every year... Uh, Isle would rehab um, about two-thirds of this uh, herd. Uh, they would take off uh, about five horses at a time, again, different sizes, uh, you know, because they get an awful lot of wear and tear from the guests. So you strip it down to the primer, then you put on the base coat, then you do all these individual paints. And again, you've got all this documentation about exactly what color paint, you know, where it, it's placed, uh, all of that, just absolutely wonderful. Uh, for an e-horse, that could take uh, two days, maybe three days. For an a-horse, we're talking a week, maybe sometimes longer, depending upon uh, the detail. And again, she did this for 25, 30 years, just by her lonesome. And if you have an appreciation for John Hench's work, and if you know the name, you know that he was a master of color. You know, there wasn't just white. There was like 900 shades of white. And... Again, we're standing here. Again, we, we've talked about this. We've finished many times. I'm gaining a new appreciation the more I look at the the depth and the detail of the color and how you're right. Every horse is completely different. And uh, again, you know that I come from an animation background, so I'm taking a look um, 
especially at the, at the faces and, and all of this that we take for granted, uh, there's something in animation called the line of action. And if you take a look at this, it's so vibrant, so, so they feel so much alive. And every horse is distinctly different, you know? And, and you've got that, and it, again, it's just a, a skill, it's an art. And in fact, uh, look what just stopped in front of us, the uh, chariot. There's a wonderful story behind that, Lou. Yeah, obviously, um, in addition to all the horses that have been changed and repainted and cleaned up over the years, there's a, a beautiful chariot. Again, maybe some guests can't or don't want to ride on one of the horses, so a chariot was installed. But again, you, the only person who could tell the story, because you've spoken to Isle, there's a great story, a great personal story behind the chariot and the lost chariot. Yes, and I wish Isle was here to tell this uh, herself. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that now I'm the sole conduit of some of these stories from some of these uh, uh, great people. Uh, when the carousel was brought out, there were uh, 72 horses and two chariots. And they decided they just wanted to have all horses. So they pulled out the chariots, and then there were 90 horses on the carousel, making it the, l the largest carousel that Disney had uh, at the time. In fact, it, when it was built, it was one of the largest carousels ever built. It was 60 feet in diameter, and I'm taking a look at those. I'm distracted now here now too. I'm taking a look at those uh, Cinderella paintings up there. Those were actually 18 paintings of American scenery, of you know, Purple Mountains, Majesty, uh, uh, waves of grain, all of that up there. That's no longer there. Yeah. So the chariots were removed, and then, as you said, uh, the world changes, and so now you want maybe little kids who don't want to get on the horse or are too little to get on the horse. Or you've got uh, parents or grandparents that have uh, mobility problems, but they want to be on there as well. So they decided to uh, reinstall the chariots. Disney, of course, could not find them. It took them <laughs> years, years, over a decade uh, to do this. And so Isle had pictures of the chariots, and uh, she networked. And she shared with every... She showed me. I said, I have no idea where chariots could be. She looked through all the storage units that are here in uh, uh, Florida. Nothing. A friend of Isles was walking through a storage facility in California. And uh, he, he told this, this story. And he says he doesn't know why, but he was walking. And it's a huge warehouse. And, of course, it's stuffed with things. And they all have tags. And they all belong to different departments. And things like that, and for some reason he decided to stop, and he looked over his shoulder and up, and there, hanging in the rafters, was one of the chariots. And so he took a picture of it, sent it to Isle, Isle said, that's it, this is in 1996, and John Hench took a look at it and said, that's it. So they pulled it out, uh, they rehabbed it, uh, John Hench and Isle picked the colors for it, again you'll notice that Lady Liberty is on the chariot. And this was reinstalled without any fanfare in uh, 1997. And so I said, well, Isle, I know in uh, Disneyland Paris they've used fiberglass molds where you take a fiberglass mold of the uh, chariot and, you know, put it on the, on the other side. And Isle said, only originals, only originals on this. And she says, after all, it only took us 25 years to find this chariot. The other one's got to be out there. Which may have added to the fact that, you know... Uh, I all got moved into a different role. But um, beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, carousel. And uh, again, you know, it, it's interesting. It's got this wonderful real history, and yet people will still make up things. Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll get to the story and where it is now. Um, you know, one thing we, we are taking for granted as we're sitting here, one of the things I enjoy about this part of Fantasyland is the beautiful calliope music that plays in the background, obviously from classic Disney animated films. So you'll hear things like A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes, Be Our Guest, uh, Chim Chimery, Hi-Ho, So This Is Love, When You Wish Upon a Star. And again, this is a real old Italian band organ that's playing it. And, it, and again, mm -hmm. appreciating some of those little details. And the Italian band organ is original. It came with the carousel. It was built by one of the most famous Italian uh, factories. When this came out, most of the wooden pieces were replaced by metal pieces, except for the horses, except for the organ, and all of that. And yes, I love hearing it. Uh, I just love the sound of that as well. You know, it just adds to that whole uh, 
we talked about the language of vision, how, you know, what you see and, and what you're touching and what you're hearing and what you're smelling, you know, uh, makes a huge difference. Absolutely. And, and let's, let's start with a couple of myths about the carousel um, that maybe people have heard or people haven't heard. One that's true, one that's not. Um, <laughs> the first is... Um, Let's debunk the easy myth first. And, you know, many of us, myself included, are guilty of propagating something that now, after talking to Jim Corcus, I, I realize is, is, is pure myth. Uh, myth? Yeah. Um, we've talked about finding Cinderella's horse um, in the second row and looking for the gold ribbon around her tail. And it's right in front of us. Yeah. Right. As if on cue, it's right in front of us. And certainly... It makes perfect sense on its face because if this was, is, was, Cinderella's golden carousel, there's the golden ribbon on her tail, debunk that myth and explain for us so we have another aha Jim Corcus moment, why that just makes no sense. And again, it's a myth stake, right? Uh, again, that story of uh, Cinderella's horse started about a decade ago. I know that for a fact because I brought it up to Isle and I said, People are saying it's Cinderella's horse. No, there's no Cinderella's horse. And she said it exactly in that tone and exactly uh, that way. Um, actually, it started with a uh, cast member who wanted to create magical moments for people and actually made a magical moment for a Give Kids the World a child who needed to be in an interior horse so that there could be people standing on either side. So to make that horse more special, well, this is Cinderella's horse. See, it's got the gold ribbon. And again, what will happen is it's such a great story, it gets communicated orally. Okay, well, we've already determined these are not horses from the time of Prince Charming and Cinderella. These are American horses. You know, the, the horse standing right next to Cinderella's horse has, has got a gold uh, uh, lariat, you know, to, to rope cattle, for crying out loud. Uh, also... Uh, the horses are white because, uh, of, of course, Cinderella had white horses pulling her pumpkin coach. Also, John Hench uh, had determined that, you know, everyone wants to be on the hero horse. Um, but if Cinderella was going to have a horse, it would be more likely that instead of a B horse in that second row there, it would be an A horse. And, in fact, in some carousels, they have what is called a signature horse that stands out, that is that is more elaborate because it's sort of it's literally the signature of the maker and in Disneyland they do have a signature horse it's called Jingles and it's now the Julie Andrews horse and it's got the little shield on it and all that but again that's what I was saying I was saying well you know why would you give Cinderella a, a smaller less elaborate horse when you've got all these beautiful horses out there uh, she doesn't even ride a horse <laughs> she doesn't even talk to Prince Charming's horse you know, uh, at least Sleeping Beauty, you know, knows the, her prince's horse. Uh, you know, so that doesn't happen. All of these are American uh, uh, horses. It's like, what's all that about? You know, that, that, that doesn't seem to make any sense. And if it was Cinderella's horse, and if they had determined they were going to make that Cinderella's horse, they would have done something more elaborate. They would have put on, for instance, the shield, uh, the emblem of Cinderella or Prince Charming nowadays, right? Um, to make that stand out. But it's not. It, it, there's a horse that has a, a, a gun and a holster in it. That's uh, a bee horse as well, too. Thank heavens that's not Cinderella's horse. She, Rambo Cinderella. I guess, I, I guess that would really make Fantasyland more macho. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to... to Crush the dreams of children. That's okay. Well, yes. <laughs> you know, it's like telling someone there's no Easter Bunny. And again... The, the story has become so popular it's taken on a life of its own. So there's even official Disney books now that say, well, this is the Cinderella horse because it's, it's got the, uh, you know, the gold ribbon on. The, the Cinderella doesn't even wear gold ribbons in, in the movie, for crying out loud. So if you want to believe that that's Cinderella's horse, more power to you. I'm, I'm going to say right now... Uh, that the horse with the bow and arrow on it has got to be the Lumangello horse. You know, that, that, that's, that's a, that fiery steed. And I'm going to say that that's the Lone Ranger horse right behind him there. And that makes as much sense. And if you'd want to believe that, more power to you. 
again, it you know when we see it and we see that and, it, and look, it is it is a great thing. And if you want to make a moment for your child, they don't need to know the difference. But it is it's fascinating that we have all believed that, and then now when we sort of look at it much more carefully, it does make more sense. And I said I said there was another myth, and look, the carousel is the centerpiece uh, of Fantasyland, but for a while. It was kind of the off-centerpiece of Fantasyland because another myth, and this one is actually true, is that when the carousel was first installed, it was actually installed a bit off-center, and it was a Disney that had it moved to its correct place. You're absolutely right, Lou, and I had difficulty believing this, too. I thought, you know, sometimes when a story is too good to be true, it is too good to be true, but sometimes it's true. And when they installed the carousel, of course... Not all of the uh, bells and whistles had been installed yet. This was, this was an early uh, stage. Uh, Roy O. Disney was down uh, by the uh, uh, train station on Main Street, and he was looking down, and he looked through the uh, uh, opening of Cinderella's Castle, and he says, I think that carousel is off-center. And in those days, Disney had money, and in those days, you didn't argue with Roy O. Disney. And they measured, and, and this is just hilarious to me, it was off by about a foot to two feet. But they moved it. So now it literally is there in, in the, uh, the center. And, uh, you know, look at all of the people riding this carousel. We, we've been talking for, for an awful long time, so it's gone around, you know, several times. It's about two minutes uh, t- to go around, and it's still packed with, with, with people, and, and, and the great delight, and, and uh, I'm seeing some of these adults on horses that are way too small for them, <laughs> but, but, but they, they're like they're 10 years old again, that, that they absolutely uh, love this, as, as well they should, you know? I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited seeing this. We might have to ride it. We might have to ride it, you know, after we're done recording, but you're right, and you know, it, it's somewhat ironic that Walt wanted to make sure he didn't build a carnival and he was he specifically wanted to build something that wasn't but a carnival attraction is so important to not just fantasy land but magic kingdom really the history of, of walt disney world and disneyland and you're absolutely right in fact bob jones who did um, uh created some of the puppets for pinocchio in 1940 remembers uh walt pulling him in one day and talking to him about how he wanted to build uh, you know, a place, and the very first thing on Walt's list of what he wanted there was a merry-go-round. And, you know, uh, sometimes I get the reputation for, you know, being grumpy about changes and all this. I'm certainly not happy about it being renamed Prince Charming Regal Carousel, and we can talk about that. But one of the changes that you pointed out, Lou, that I love are, are the new uh, uh, steps for people to get onto the the horses because I know that people struggled with that in the past and what I love about that is it's themed in to the style of the ride and it doesn't affect the horses it doesn't affect anything else there it really enhances that experience and for little guys like me it makes it much easier to get onto those big you know e horses on the on the uh, inside so <laughs> well <laughs> but, you, but, talk- but you can always ride Cinderella's horse because it's smaller yeah I, can, I need a step stool to get into the uh, into the carriage. So, but you talked about a, a recent change that took place, and curiouser and curiouser as it was, uh, back on June first, twenty ten, the Disney Company, through its official blog, announced a change to the carousel, and it wasn't a change in color, or it wasn't going to go backwards or underwater, and it, it was a simply a change in name. And as they propose it, a change in story. And since opening day, 1971, Cinderella's Golden Carousel, with two R's, has now a new name. And it's officially Prince Charming, not possessive, Regal Carousel. And they had a press release with an actual new storyline attached to it. And I've talked about this before on the show. Um, In fact, Lou, I love the sound of your voice. And I know that people listening to this love the sound of your voice because whenever we're out in the park and you're talking, people immediately recognize that voice and and gravitate to you. I would like you to read that new storyline and then we'll talk about how that's not really a theme, that's a plot and the difference between that. Go ahead. And an interesting one, nonetheless. All right. 
I feel like I'm sitting at a little fireside <laughs> chat here. Why don't Why don't you take a take a sip from your uh, uh, apple juice here and? All right. So this is verbatim from the Disney press release as what they consider the new storyline. Following their fairy tale romance and happily ever after wedding, Cinderella and Prince Charming took up residence in Cinderella's castle. With peace throughout the kingdom, Prince Charming had time to practice for jousting tournaments. In the countryside near the castle, he built a training device of carved horses on which he could practice the art of ring spearing, a tournament event in which a knight rides his horse full speed, lance in hand, towards a small ring hanging from a tree limb with the object of spearing the ring. This event was known by various names throughout the lands, but generally came to be called Carousel. The carousel drew the attention of the villagers who wanted to take a turn on this amazing spinning contraption. So Prince Charming had a second carousel constructed closer to the castle where everyone could take a spin on this wondrous invention. Instead of a working knight's training device, however, this new carousel is more befitting its regal location in the castle courtyard. Its rustic training horses replaced with ornately decorated prancing steeds adorned with golden helmets and shields flower garlands, feathers, and other festoons. Prince Charming invites one and all to test their horsemanship skills and to enjoy their own happy ending. (laughs) And ladies and gentlemen, you know, on this show we talk an awful lot about story, we talk a lot about theme. That is not a story, that is not a theme. That's a plot, and you can tell from that that obviously somebody... um, did some basic study about carousels because, uh, again, a lot of those facts uh, parallel what I've talked about earlier. But that is not a story. If he built this um, for, uh, you know, the, the peasants to enjoy, how come he used all white horses? You know, you would if if he you wanted to make it like the uh, training carousel, you'd have black and brown and gray and white and... Uh, it still doesn't explain why you've got bows and arrows and clubs and guns and holsters and, and things on that. That doesn't explain any of that at all. And um, Well, look, it took us 40 years to finally pay attention and catch <laughs> on to it. So, and, and Prince Charming doesn't ride a horse. And, you know, I, I know that there's been an awful lot of talk on, on the discussion boards that, uh, you know, uh, obviously Cinderella and uh, Prince Charming went through a divorce and Cinderella got the castle and... <laughs> Prince Charming got the carousel, and yes, the two R's is the French spelling, so that that's why that's uh, um, uh, there. Actually, Prince Charming should have gotten the house, or, uh, unless Cinderella got a great divorce lawyer there. I guess the fairy godmother is also a divorce lawyer, you know. Uh, but again, you know, you can't just put up a sign. The, the sign for Cinderella's golden carousel actually had Gus Gus and Jacques on it, so you could take a look and have a little smile as to. They're reminding you that these are actually mice that were transformed into horses. Or maybe they're waiting uh, around for the fairy godmother to come and change them back again so they, they can, they can take a, a, a little spin. I was telling Lou earlier, we're getting to the point now, because a theme is immersive. A theme uh, affects all, you know, everything you see, everything you touch, you know, and, and it's so natural that, that you go. And, and a theme is very short. You don't have to go into two paragraphs like they did for this. So uh, for the Haunted Mansion, the theme was 999 happy haunts are, are retired, but they're always looking for one more. Uh, uh, Big Thunder Mountain, you know, a runaway mine train spirals wildly out of control through a haunted mountain. My gosh, I was able to sum that up in, in, in a sentence, and, and it, it really explains the whole... Co- and so you can't... You can always tell when somebody's faking, and you can tell this in your boss's memos, too. Those who write memos that go on for pages and pages, they don't know what they're talking about. I was telling Lou that what I'm afraid of is the next step that's going to happen is they're going, you know, all this detailed painting and all, this is really costing us money. You know, let's go down to Lowe's and buy a bunch of uh, cans of paint and make sure they're all purple paint, and we'll just spray paint all the horses purple, and then we can retheme it as the carousel formerly known as Prince. <laughs> Lou is laughing here, and, 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 and the, the uh, Coke is coming out of his nose right now here uh, as, as this goes on. But, you know, if this was meant to make 
fantasy land more macho, you know, more friendly to young boys. I will tell you, I have a four-year-old nephew, and when I bring him here, he doesn't care what the name of the carousel is. He wants to ride the horse. And uh, I will tell you that right now I want to ride the horse. And when I was a teenager, I wanted to ride the horse. And, you know, I wasn't embarrassed. It, it wasn't like, oh, well, this is Cinderella's carousel. This is a girl's ride. I'm not going to ride that. A carousel, a merry-go-round is universal. And it's something that Walt loved. And, again, this is one of those lost treasures that we don't appreciate. And so if we don't understand the story, if we don't understand the history, then we can expect these kind of superficial changes that literally make no impact. I don't, I don't see any of the guests going, oh my gosh, it's Prince Charming, regal carousel. It's not even a royal carousel. It's a regal carousel. You know, how many people know what regal means? You know, none of them are going, oh my gosh, it's, I've got to ride this because it's a regal carousel. No, they're riding it because it's beautiful and it's communicating. And just even looking at the horse in front of me, it's just radiating beauty and artistry and majesty and I just love it. Just and I love you giving me an opportunity to share this story. No, and, and I too, and I love it. And look, I've been here for extra magic hours with adult friends of mine, and at midnight we'll be the only people on the carousel because we enjoy the ride. And I agree, I enjoy it because of its its rich history and its meaning, and on its face, just how kinetic it is, and the the, the energy and, and motion that it brings to Fantasyland, and, and I'm not sure, and I know there's been a lot of speculation, I'm not sure that I'm buying into changing the name to try and encourage boys to ride it, because the same amount of boys are riding it now that wrote it a month ago when the name was different. I, I don't know, Jim, and none of us do, if there's some sort of a, a master plan, if this is the beginning of a new set of storytelling for the expansion of Fantasyland that's going to happen over the next couple of years. We won't know until we can look back with 2020 hindsight and say, oh, now I understand. It wasn't a divorce. It's this because such and such has happened that we haven't heard it been announced yet. And, you know, you could be absolutely right, Lou. You know, we're really not uh, privy to the, to the larger picture. And, you know, some of us uh, grew up loving Disney and loving the Disney theme parks so much that I constantly have to, to watch myself, you know, Am I, am I just bringing out my old man cane and grumbling, grumbling and venting in the air because I dislike change because that's the way it was when I was a kid and that's how it should be now, you know? Um, Walt always wanted change as well. But I will say that right now, for me, I don't immediately see how this is the first domino that's going to set other dominoes in place. And, and I would say to the, to the listeners of this uh, podcast... Keep the stories alive, because once the stories are there, then the changes that get made get made more logically um, and more effectively. Uh, I'm afraid that there aren't as many people at Disney anymore who are the keepers of the story, and it just may be because they just don't know the story. So if you share that story, more people will know that story, and I think we'll all live happily ever after. I agree. And, you know, when it comes to this attraction, honestly, Jim, I don't care about the name change. And not that I'm apathetic about it. I'm, you know, it affects me in in so far as my passion for the parks. But I want people to appreciate the carousel for what it is, for the beauty that it is, for its significance in Disney history, for its significance in theme park attraction history and, and how much real and imaginary history there is behind it and that's why I'm so grateful that you are willing to brave the summer heat and stand out here for now we've talked for almost 50 minutes about a merry-go-round I mean it's one thing if we talked that long about the Haunted Mansion or Big Thunder Mountain that have such elaborate stories or technological marvels this is a simple merry-go-round and hopefully we've gotten people to come maybe ride it again appreciate it again look for some of those details and yeah Share the stories that you've been so generous to share with them. And, you know, one of the things we talked about uh, in the past, Lou, too, is maybe doing a podcast in the future of all the carousels at Walt Disney World or all the carousel items that are scattered 
throughout property, which I don't think uh, people realize. And I think that this would be a wonderful experience for uh, D23 members to have a presentation made at the carousel, then go back to central shops and see how the horses are painted now, and maybe even be pulled into a little room with uh, plaster horses and, uh, you know, uh, paint those in the same color. Oh, wait a minute. I did that class for Disneyana a lot of years ago. The only difference was instead of me talking about the carousel, it was aisle. Wonderful class. So, uh, and you're right. It doesn't make any difference what the sign says. The carousel, I'm taking a look at it now. It's exactly the same as it was last month. It provides exactly the same amount of uh, joy. And the next time you come visit Magic Kingdom, next time you come visit Fantasyland, do yourself a favor Get on that horse and dream. And I am sure I'm not the only person that was smiling ear to ear as you were coming up with that great story for like a D23 kind of event because it's something that people would just, it's brilliant. People would love to do. And you hope that somebody at D23 or Disney is listening and maybe he says, you know, I just came up with a great idea. <laughs> um, or better yet, brings in Jim Corcus to maybe lead that tour and lead that class uh, as only Jim Corcus t- can do so again uh, this is always a blast I always learn so much and have so many aha moments I think we need to take a ride on the carousel but thank you so much for sharing these here on the show for your stories behind the stories that you share with us in Celebrations Magazine and for everything you do Jim and I'm looking forward to riding the carousel as well because I look really macho uh, riding one of those white horses. So, Lou, always a pleasure. Uh, Thank you for giving me the opportunity, as always, to share the stories and to share those with your listeners. And uh, I look forward to sharing more in the future. Thank you again. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this week. Big thanks also go out to my friend Jim Corcus for sharing the stories behind the stories of the carousel. If you enjoyed Jim's work, go back to the archives, either in iTunes or on the podcast section of WDWRadio.com. You'll find more from Jim there, as well as other discussions of current and former attractions, interviews, and so, so much more. You can also read some of Jim's exceptional work in Celebrations Magazine. You can go to celebrationspress.com to order back issues or subscribe. Or if you want to contribute something on your own, you can find a way to do that there as well. Stay tuned to the website as well for more information about my upcoming audio guide to Walt Disney World. Liberty Square is in the works, and I should have a release date for that soon. But you can also order the other audio guides in the series including Main Street, Adventureland, and Fantasyland, as well as my Walt Disney World trivia books. You'll also find some new videos up there, discussion forums, photo galleries, a daily blog where you can come on and comment, and so, so much more. And if you like this show, and if you like our discussion on the carousel, come by the site and comment in the comments section or post some comments over on Facebook, on the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash WDWradio. You can find on the site all the different ways that you can connect with me and the show through Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, FriendFeed, iTunes, and more. Right on the right-hand side, you'll find a link to connect with WDW Radio at WDWRadio.com. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, The meet of the month in Walt Disney World for July. I have set the date. It is going to be Saturday, July 24th. And I've also set the time and location. It is going to be outside the parks this time this way it gives you if maybe you don't have a park pass or a seasonal pass still want to come to a meet thought we would do it outside the parks so we're going to go to the contempo cafe on the fourth floor of disney's contemporary resort on the grand canyon concourse that's going to be 11 a.m which will give you time to come by hang out for a while and then if you want to go and play in the parks or even go exploring the resort you still have the whole day ahead of you It's a great place to sit. You can get something to eat or drink right there. Watch the monorail pass overhead. Look out over on Bay Lake. 
marvel at Mary Blair's incredible work on the mural or even just simply take some time out of the sun in the free air conditioning. So I'll put a link in this week's show notes also at meatofthemonth.com. If you want to, you can RSVP, if you like, over on the Facebook page or in the forums. Upcoming events, including additional meets of the month, and I'll post August and and the rest of the year uh, coming soon. Don't forget about the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. If you're up in the Pacific Northwest, August 14th, that's a Saturday at the Linwood Convention Center in Linwood, Washington. You can visit pnwmousemeet.com. I'll be giving a talk there. I'll have a table at the show and sale. There's plenty of celebrities, other authors, podcasters, a great place to meet other Disney fans as well. We are going to be planning something for Destination D over at the D23 event in Disneyland at the end of September. So stay tuned for more information coming very, very soon. October 8th through the 12th is Congaloosh. And if you enjoyed Jim's stories today, come just to hear Jim give his talks and tours as well as the dinner and show from the Adventures Club cast right on the stage of the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular, a show and sale, a banquet, a Q&A. I'll be giving a tour of the Jungle Cruise and a couple of other tours throughout the weekend. For more information, you can visit congaloosh.org. That's C-O-N-G-A-L-O-O-S-H. The link is in this week's show notes. And if you uh, join the WDW Radio Tribe before July 15th, You'll save off the registration price. And of course, don't forget about the cruise on the all-new Disney Dream. We'll have some more updates coming about that very, very soon. That's February 27th, 2011. For more information, visit www.radiocruise.com. Don't forget, I continue to want the show to be as interactive as you'd like it to be. So if you want to play Listener Factor Fiction, email me with your phone number, and I may call you for a chance to answer 10 true or false trivia questions about Walt Disney World for a chance to win some prizes. If you have a question you want me to answer on the show, email me at lou at wdwradio.com or if you want to be on the air, call the voicemail anytime, toll free at 888-703-2171. You can come by, discuss the show on the website, in the forums, on the fan page, on Facebook. Come by the site, sign up for the free newsletter. There's so many different ways to stay connected and engage and be part of the conversation. I invite you to choose whichever or as many as you like. Again, you'll find links to everything right on the homepage. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including the great team over at Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider. And the gang over at All Star Vacation Homes. If you're looking for a house or a condo within just a couple of miles of Walt Disney World with your own private pool, spas, kitchen, game rooms, multiple bedrooms, and more, visit All-Star Vacation Homes. And stay tuned, because I am going to have another WDW Radio live video broadcast and chat coming very, very soon. Stay tuned. Again, best ways to keep up on those, follow me over on Facebook and Twitter. As always, my friends, if you like the show... All I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Post a link on your Facebook page or on your blog or on your website. And just let others know that you're hopefully enjoying what you're hearing on the show this and every week. And of course, my friends, most importantly, take those steps to start pursuing your passion. Follow your dreams. And no matter what, always keep moving forward. And with that, my friends... Thank you again for listening. I really do appreciate it. Hope to get a chance to see many of you at the next meet of the month. And until then, I hope you guys have a great, great week. See ya. Hey, Lou. It's Steve Medina from Miami. How are you doing? I just finished hearing your uh, Father's Day episode, and um, it pretty much you know, touched, uh, touched me because uh, I, like you, lost my father this year, last year. And this is my first Father's Day uh, without him. Um, just wanted to share one of my, uh, one thing I do for my dad every time I go. My father was a barber. And um, from the first trip we ever took back in 74, we would always, he would always take a picture in front of the barber shop. Of course, back then it was uh, at a, in a different location. But now every time I go, you know, six, seven times a year, I always make sure that that I have my photo taken either by myself or with my children or with my wife in front of the Harmony Barbershop. So um, I know that your uh, Father's Day was bittersweet, just like mine. Um, 
it does uh, get better. What I do is I celebrate all the good times he had, we had together, and I know you do the same. All right? Thanks, again. Hey, Lou. This is James McKinney. I was just calling to let you know that I listen to your radio show every day and that uh, I saw you at Disney World last year as I was coming out of Canada restaurant. Just calling to let you know that I really love your show. Thanks. Hi, Lou. It's Sammy from Toronto. First, with um, some show ideas. I really enjoyed your um, video footage of the best things to eat in the park, starting with Hollywood Studios, um, Studios Park. And I'd be very interested in some follow-up shows from Epcot, Animal Kingdom, and, of course, Magic Kingdom. So looking forward to those. On a more um, poignant note, I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed and definitely felt um, the great spirit in your um, recent podcast, Top Ten Things to Do with Your Dad in Walt Disney World, and you brought some of your own personal connection and loss um, to the show, and that was no doubt a difficult show, but an important one that honored your dad and all dads and everyone who's ever played a dad-like role um, out there. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. I think it's it's a wonderful tribute, and you're doing good work, so keep it up. All right. All the best. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou, it's Sam M. from Pittsburgh. We just returned from our 12 days in the magic. A couple of things I wanted to share with the listeners really quick that I noticed that others may not have. Um, obviously, the heat has been quite incredible down there in June of 2010. Um, but a couple things to be aware of. One, uh, I noticed that on Sundays, in fact, it was Father's Day, appropriate for your last episode, extra magic hours at the Magic Kingdom are till 2 a.m., but what people may not notice is at Hollywood Studios, the park closes at 10, but there are two Fantasmic shows on Sunday, one at 9 and one at 10.30. So the 10.30 Fantasmic actually starts after the official close of the studios. Obviously, the 9 o'clock Fantasmic is extremely crowded and packed. We waited for the 10.30. We were able to walk on the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, the wait is posted as 13 minutes, but we all know they go to 13 minutes as a lucky number 13, not necessarily the length of time. And the rock and roller coaster was 20 minutes. So during the 9 o'clock show, we were able to ride Tower of Terror twice, the rock and roller coaster, and essentially walk into the 10:30 Fantasmic show that was maybe 50% capacity. So that second show is important. Along the same lines. The Main Street Electrical Parade at Magic Kingdom, the second parade, the 11 o'clock parade, is very light, especially if you're in the uh, um, area around Liberty Square. We were able to sit in front of, uh, uh, right at Liberty Square, without uh, anyone in front of us sitting on the wall, and that parade route was very clear. We also participated in the... Um, fireworks dessert party, which is phenomenal, highly recommended to everybody. So remember that second show, the second parade, very lightly attended. It's very hot, so get back to the resort, spend some time in the pool, let the kids take a nap, and count on the second showing. Much uh, less hassle across the board. The magic was wonderful as always. Thanks, Lou, for all you do. Hi, Lou. This is Brooke from Minnesota, and I was recently in Iowa and found a little junk shop with lots of old Mickey merchandise. I didn't get through the whole shop with all the Mickey stuff, but I did find a Mickey marionette puppet that looked really old. He had a red bow tie, black jacket, blue top hat, and red pants. The thing that I thought was really strange was that his eyes were ovals, but then they had triangles on the side like they do in some of the old Mickey cartoons. It was only $20, but I wanted your opinion on whether I should get it or not. Thanks for the show, Lou, and keep the magic going. Bye. Hi, Lou. Um, I'm 13, and I live in Dallas, Texas, and um, I just wanted to share something with you. Um, I love your podcast, and um, there's a lot of fun to listen to, but I found a Magic Kingdom map from 2000 when my parents first took me, and um, there's a lot of really cool like stuff that really doesn't exist anymore. Like There's the Fast Pass for Haunted Mansion listed on it, um, there's the Timekeeper, there's the Extraterrestrial Alien Encounter, and then something that I never knew about before, but there's a stage in Tomorrowland, and I never even knew that there was one, but 
and the maps were about twice as big as they are now, and it's just weird to see how it was, like, ten years ago. But um, thank you for your time. Bye. Hey, Lou, this is uh, Ted Knapp calling from Rochester, New York. Just got done listening to your Father's Day uh, podcast. Uh, excellent show, as always. Um, unfortunately, I lost my father um, back in the early 1960s when I was six, six months old, so I never got to share the Walt Disney World magic with my father. However, my passion started for Walt Disney World in March of 1972 when I went for the first time. And two years ago, I shared my passion with my son, who was at the time uh, five years old. Uh, the one thing I always will remember about my first time taking my son to Walt Disney World was carrying my son on my shoulders down Main Street. Um, it brought a tear to my eye. Um, it, it's something I will always cherish, and I hopefully I can continue my passion for Walt Disney World with my son. Thanks for the show. Talk to you later. Hi, Lou. This is Johanna from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my husband and I got back from our honeymoon a couple weeks back. Uh, we were able to meet you at the Illuminations event and very excited about that. I did want to give you a thumbs up on the California Grill recommendation um, and give you some more information on one of your favorite restaurants. Um, again, we were out there on our honeymoon. Uh, there was a mix-up in our reservation, unfortunately, and... Um, in the meantime as well, I was making sure that my husband was within dress code. I forgot that I was within dress I was not within dress code. So uh, unfortunately, between those two items, I went into a slight panic attack, got very visibly upset. Uh, the staff were excellent. They made sure not only to pretty much get us the reservation at the time that um, we understood we were supposed to be at the California Grill, but they found me some cast member pants to put on instead of my athletic shorts. They gave us the best table, and we finished up dinner right about as the fireworks were starting. It was beautiful. We can't wait to go back. And uh, also our personal recommendation out of the, our time there since we were on the dining plan for the first time, the Hollywood Brown Derby. Uh, again, staff was excellent, and they had this amazing uh, banana foster-type dessert that made me think of Tim Bananas Foster. But anyway, we had an excellent time. Uh, so good to meet you. Next time, I will have my books on me so that I can get some signatures. And we'll uh, be listening to the podcast. Thanks so much. See ya. 